Hey, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. I love it for the simple fact that it brings the sponsors to you. You don't have to search for them, and they distribute it to all the major platforms for you. So if you want to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Again, anchor.fm slash S-T-A-R-T to join me and diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. And that's it. Let's go. Hello, people. Today, I want to welcome everybody to the new episode of Supreme Decisions Legal Minute. I want to thank everyone for listening. I also want to thank everybody that has already donated and those that are planning to donate to continue the growth of the channel. So if you are looking to donate, hit one of the donation links because it's Supreme Decisions at PayPal, also on the Cash App. Those are two of the easiest forms. And on Apple Pay, it is simply T-H-E-G-O-C-P at Gmail for Apple Pay. And it's also the same thing for Google Wallet. But today I want to address something. Um, I've been going through my comments, through a lot of the videos on YouTube, on the channel Supreme Decisions. And a few of the things that are being asked, or not necessarily being asked, but I believe there are things that are set in confusion. Because people have ideas instead of understanding. So what I want to do is address a couple of those misunderstandings right now. And the first part of that is I'm going to deal with briefly why the judge is not the most powerful person in the courtroom. And that was done by a young lady that addresses herself, um, Elizabeth H., She's on YouTube as San Fran Girl 1985. And basically, in a case with Fisher v. Pace 336 US 155 at 167, it's a 1949 Supreme Court case. And the thing is, When you have the responsibilities of a lawmaker, a prosecutor, judge, jury, and disciplinarian, and all of that is thrust upon a judge, he or she is obviously incapable of holding the scales of justice perfectly fair and true. This is why a judge does not have ultimate power in a courtroom aside from the fact that the judge has an oath of office and an oath of office falls under the constitution's obligation of contract clause which makes the oath of office a trust document you've heard me say that a hundred times at least But by it being a trust document, 
this is why the judge is a public servant and a servant does not have power unless you give it to them a servant does not have authority unless you give it to them this is also why as a servant the judge's decisions can only flow from the person that gives it to them now I'm going to go further into that because a lot of times we're looking at things and we see essence of what we call the deprivation of rights or color of law and one of the cases that I go through a lot or I've actually gone over is Monroe v. Pape 365 U.S. 167. It's a 1961 case. An officer or employee. Now, understand, it's an officer or an employee of its state or subdivision is deemed to be acting under color of law as those deprivation of rights committed in the fulfillment of task obligations assigned to him. Now, one of the things that we run into is we have to, when we're dealing with our own cases, we have to file documents. A lot of times you have people that have no business even speaking will tell you what they will or won't do. They are servants. Servants follow orders. They don't give them. And giving orders is a deprivation of rights. And also, I'm going to go a little further into Monroe B. Pate. A plaintiff need not pursue his state remedies before instituting a 1983 actions. Defendants can be held in actions under 42 U.S.C. 1983 even though they did not act willfully, even though they did not have a specific intent to deprive a plaintiff of a federal right, such defendants can be held to civil responsibility. That is one of the things that I mentioned in one of my very first videos. Because of their obligation to you as a servant, if a police officer does something that deprives you of a federal right, which is a God-given right, and a federal or government restriction, you do not have to be physically harmed by it. They are civilly liable to you. And... I love to say this because these are not my words. These are not my opinions. These are actual U.S. Supreme Court cases. And this is this is also brings me to another portion of a young man. He stated he had an issue with 
USV Sharp and me showing multiple times that holding someone for 20 minutes is too long. Now, he went into the comments and added a scenario because USV Sharp, the 20 minute timeline was created via the Terry Doctrine or Terry v. Ohio. The scenario he gave was not a Terry stop or Terry Doctrine situation. Because now I'm going to go through a couple of things that give you the actual idea or context of the Sharp decision. Under Terry v. Ohio, 392 U.S. in Section 1, 1968. The police may, in an appropriate circumstance and in an appropriate manner, approach a person for the purpose of investigating possible criminal activity, even though there is no probable cause to make an arrest. So police are allowed to approach you. Now, what those are called are custodial uh, interrogations because they're technically voluntary You can, because you also know that I stated before there's a Supreme Court case where you do not have to participate in a voluntary conversation you also have this thing called the right to remain silent there is nothing that states if they are doing a investigation the police you do not have to participate in their investigation because you have the right to remain silent. It is up to them on every aspect of stopping your locomotion to prove or articulate the reason for them being there and why they are stopping you. If they fail to do so, you are free to go. Now, if they do things such as tell you you are detained. They cannot articulate a crime and they hold you longer than 20 minutes. Those are violations that are to be addressed in federal court. Plain and simple. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's exactly what I just stated. The reason being is because that is the aspect of the Supreme Court decisions when they violate or deprive you of a God given right you hold them civilly liable in federal court now let's go a little further because again they have a trust document that states they're going to uphold the constitution of the United States and the constitution of the states we also know that the Supreme Court cases as well as federal statutes override any and all state statutes, codes, and ordinance. Why? Because statutes, codes, and ordinances are set up as safety issues and are not law, which is the reason why it changes from county to county, state to state, because each area has a different level of safety issues. So therefore, the law is U.S. wide. Statutes are county specific. 
And when going into federal court, there's a Supreme Court case, Nationwide Amusements, Inc. v. Natin, N-A-T-T-I-N, D-C-L-A. And it's actually a 1971 case. Any plaintiff who can allege deprivation of federal right by reason of action under color of law can maintain action under the subchapter civil rights. Now, the whole purpose of that is to understand when they are violating the rights of God and they're placing things on you that one, they cannot do. Two, they are servants to you. The trust documents that they sign, which is their oath of office, states they are going to work towards your benefit. The only time you use the position of master is when you are doing something that violates the trust of the man which means you are doing harm to another person you're damaging other people's property you are doing an act that violate God's law which means you are not keeping your hands to yourself you are not going out and being a benefit to just who you are for the most part because if you're tearing up other folks stuff yeah that's wrong you have to take responsibility for that if you're going out and you are just for no reason putting your hands on people then again you are violating god's law so therefore they have to in in intrude on your space excuse me but i'm gonna go into one more embler v potchman 424 US 409 it's a 1976 case liability and damage for unconstitutional or otherwise illegal conduct has the very desirable effect of deterring such conduct now I'm going to start right there I'm going to come back to it but again this is one of the reasons why I constantly I'm vehemently adamantly for Whenever your rights are violated, whenever they're violated, taking these people to federal court because it's senseless to complain about a police officer to a police officer and expect anything from it and then complain about the blue wall. Now, when you have written multiple times your remedy for holding them accountable and if you're choosing not to do so you're also choosing not to complain about it because the whole thing is you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution and if you're tired of the police behaving or you want to get rid of the bad apples just like when you're dealing with a school situation when there's a student that is going around, is doing things such as violating 
um, other classmates, when they're damaging pub- the property of other students or the school itself, when they're doing things that are against God's law and they are stopping them from doing the things that they are there for, they have this thing called suspension. While the suspension is temporary, why? Because they still need the education or they need the aspect of learning and socializing. There's still a consequence to it. The consequence for a police officer, we know because of the blue wall, they're not going to be suspended. They're going to be put on vacation because we've seen entirely too many cases of that. So holding them accountable in federal court is not placing them on vacation. Is placing them on actual suspension and understanding that this is how to deter that behavior. And this was actually written or decided in 1976. So I had nothing to do with that decision. I had nothing to do with the aspects of where the crux of holding them responsible comes from. I am just reiterating something that I truly believe in and it just happened to be written at a time long before I even start learning how to read or write because literally the liability and damages for unconstitutional or otherwise legal conduct has the very desirable effect of deterring such conduct when you sue them in federal court under title 44 USC section 1983 and also here's one that was also asked in a previous video judges may be punished criminally for willful deprivation of constitutional rights on the strength of 18 USC 2 42 if filed under civil rights in federal court because when they violate your God-given rights you do not go to state court to have a discussion about it you go to federal court for police officers it's 42 USC 1983 for public servants such as um, county clerks it's 42 USC 1983 under civil rights for judges it's 18 USC 4 I mean excuse me 242 under civil rights because each one have a different level of responsibility to you to your benefit to the public you are the public So if they are servants to the public and you are the public, they are servants to you. Now, understanding that they have a fiduciary duty. So whenever you hear someone or you're thinking, oh, I pay your salary. No, they have a fiduciary duty to you. Your obligation of taxes all trickles down to them collecting pay from a collection of taxes of the public now their duty is to the public the duty is to you their fiduciary duty cannot be breached and if it is your remedy is 
federal court. Because just like I stated, police officers are allowed to approach you. They are allowed to stop you. They are even allowed to detain you without probable cause. You do not have to participate as far as even giving your name unless they can articulate the actual crime that they are investigating you for. Because you don't have to participate. You can remain silent. They have 20 minutes. USB sharp. If you are not participating in it and they have not articulated any longer than 20 minutes, they're liable. And that is the Terry Doctrine. Not if, oh, well, I got a description of a robbery suspect, blah, blah. Because again, that's not a Terry stop. That's an actual investigation. That's articulation. So therefore, that changes the aspects of the stop. So does USV Sharp stand in that instance? No, because it's not a Terry stop. So understanding that aspect of it. But again, that also can be challenged in court, in state court, on any level. And also it can be removed to federal court. Because again, your federal rights that they have restrictions placed upon them for are being violated. They have to do their job properly. You have to hold them responsible for every aspect of doing their job because they volunteered for the job. You did not force them to do it. Most chances you didn't have any participation in their decision to even to take or even accept the job. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to close with Thorn B. Jenkins, 372, and it's a 1974 case. The only elements which need to be present in order to establish claim for damages under the Civil Rights Act are the defendant have deprived plaintiff of a constitutional right and the defendant's conducts were under the color of state law. And that would be a statute, code, or ordinance such as, I'm going to give you one simple, such as jaywalking. Jaywalking is put in effect and codified because of safety issues. There is no reason to restrict one's locomotion because their job is not restricting you. It's working towards your benefit. And jaywalking is not a crime. Jaywalking is not an aspect of even something as simple as crossing the street. That's literally what, if I'm going in a direction, as long as I'm paying attention, police officers have no issue with it or should have no issue with it. But the thing is, they're using it as a tool for money because the system is set up for income, not as the truth-based or truth-looking-for system. And as I stated before, when you're dealing with them, to get rid of the bad element because a lot of these men and women are former service people they are 
the ones that went out there and risked their life for the Constitution itself, for the meaning, for the rights that God gave us. They went to defend that to make sure those were not taken away. So inherently, they are not bad people as a collective. But one bad apple does ruin the bunch. So when you're listening and they're doing and you're you're looking at things where they're not doing their job properly. You don't go out and do a lot of irrational things. You hold them accountable in the proper place. And with that being said, thank you guys for listening. Again, hit that donate button. Whether it's PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Wallet, Cash App, or whatever. Just let me know. Hit them numbers up. Let's keep the channel growing. And let's also, if you have any topics, leave them in the comment section. And hopefully we can address some of them. Because I want to stay on task. And I want to make sure we have a great foundation as we move in to the courtroom setting. And next, I'm probably going to have a conversation about affidavits, what they are, why they're being used, and how to use them properly, and what goes along with an affidavit. So keep that in mind. Get ready for the next show, and I'll see you guys soon.